You are listening to John DeYard's Life Spa, your premier source for health news in Ayurveda, where modern science meets ancient wisdom. Hi, I'm Dr. John DeYard, and welcome to LifeSpa.com, where we prove the ancient medical wisdom of Ayurveda with modern science. In today's podcast, I have a special guest, the founder of Elephant Journal magazine, online magazine, uh, Waylon Lewis. He's a special guest, so let me tell you a little bit about him. He's written uh, a beautiful book, a best-selling book called... Things I would like to do with you. Things I would like to do with you, which I got to tell you is um, not what you think when you hear the title, really. Mm. But it's just absolutely a beautiful book where Waylon pours his heart out in terms of what love is really about. And we're going to talk about that today. But let me tell you a little bit about Waylon first. Okay, Waylon Lewis. Um, and I should say that that Waylon is is. Uh, extremely loved here in Boulder. Uh, everyone knows him, loves him, likes him. He, um, he's a very special person in our community, so I'm really happy to have him here. It's long overdue, by the way. He likes to think he snowshoes hut to hut and builds nailless tiny houses and trees while drinking wild-crafted teas from herbs he's gathered in the woods besides his faithful hound, Redford. Red dog in your book, right? Yep, that's right. Yep. Um, but in reality, <laughs> he works on a laptop, rarely travels, blinks, drinks black coffee, eats vegan without preaching about it much, bikes 365 days a year, which is absolutely true, climbs lazily, yogas clumsily, and runs Elephant Journal. He knows a little bit about love, he says, but he just wrote a whole book about it, and i got to tell you, it's special. So you really want to pick up a copy of that. Um, born in Boulder. To a poor and generous single mom, he trained in Buddhism, lived in Vermont, studied stuff in, Bo in Boston, worked at Shambhala, which is the Buddhist um, publisher, this and that, founded Elephant Journal. His only real ambition, though, is to help create an enlightened society through his words, which is what Elephant Journal magazine, online Elephant Journal magazine is all about. You definitely want to check that out. And I'd like to just start having Waylon just tell us a little bit about how you founded Elephant Journal. For folks who don't know what it is, what it is, mm. how they can get kind of hooked up to Elephant Journal and you know and start seeing what you're doing. Yeah, so how I founded Elephant is a long uh, story. This was pre-Kickstarter, uh, which to me revolutionized entrepreneurship, crowdfunding. Um, but I was super poor. I couldn't crowdfund. It didn't exist. And I partnered with this guy who was trying to start a local, like Boulder local yoga black and white magazine called Yoga in the Rockies. And he was a great guy, didn't have any idea about the magazine or journalism business, um, but was a smart business guy. And he was so smart, he quit almost immediately uh, because he saw there was almost no money in it. And like a fool, I had partnered with him. I was like the journalism magazine guy. I studied that in Boston. And uh, I continued it. I enjoyed it, and you know, I got to uh, feature people like yourself. You were a columnist, um, and interview you over the years. And um, the magazine grew and went national in Whole Foods and bookstores. But at our peak, we were only reaching maybe seventy-five thousand people. And as you know, you're you have a good video or a good podcast or uh, what we do. Uh, you can reach many, many more people. I wanted to reach billions, not even millions, let alone. 75,000. I have no ambition to just reach uh, the choir of the choir. Right. If you want to change the world for the kinder, you got to 
listen and have tough conversations with people who disagree with you. So I went online to elephantjournal.com and uh, really haven't looked back. It's been fun. We reach millions and millions of people every month, um, every day practically on all of our different uh, social medium uh, mediums. And, um, and now we're transitioning from being a big blog to being a very small platform. So meaning up until now we've been kind of dependent on Facebook or dependent on Twitter where we've won national awards. Facebook we have 8 million fans. By comparison MSNBC has like 3 million. And we're not wow. corporate, we're just you know yeah. on our laptop in a cafe figuring it out. Um, but we're still dependent on these social media medias uh, and they're, they've proven themselves again and again not to be mission driven unless you say their mission is just profits. Yeah. So it's time to save the world from ourselves and it's more fun to save the world than to be a part of the problem anyway. So we're transitioning into becoming a kind of social media itself. And that's exciting. I'm excited about that. What you just said I think is so important because you know what social media has done to our culture, mm. particularly because, because of profit, they're cashing in on, of course, reward chemistry, but positive and negative reward chemistry. Mm. So they're going to cash on, on you know, making you look really pretty, but they're also going to cash in on making you look really ugly. Mm -hmm. And so they t they're tapping into the, into the the psychology mm -hmm. of people in mm -hmm. a really gross, deep, you know, way mm -hmm. that is really you know hurting people and their psychology. And I'm just curious if you run across that from that, because I see what you're saying is you just want to do the right thing for the right reasons and you're, and you're so incredibly ethical from that perspective. Has that been on your radar screen, just what social media is doing, like the whole Facebook? Oh. Create? Yeah. Oh yeah, I mean, I literally teach, our tagline is how to use social media without being used by it. Oh wow, that's um, so awesome. That's our whole mission. And you know, for example, any political conversation that, happen, conversation that happens on social media, media uh, becomes divisive. Right. The, the most extreme voices are the loudest and um, it's very boring to talk about solutions and caring and kindness and all these things. But if you talk about personalities and hating one another, that's really popular. Yeah. So yeah, and uh, you know, Facebook executives who have quit have said straight up like, and this is no surprise, Facebook is open about this, um, that they really targeted people's psychology, not from a point of view of making our fundamental goodness shine brighter, but from the point of view of trying to exploit uh, people's psychology so they stay on the site. I mean, that's the whole purpose. Yeah. There's just the more clicks and not, they don't even care if you have a good time there, if you learn good things, they just want you clicking. Yeah. So we're going to become, you know, you in a way you have to, this goes back to Joseph Campbell or myth making, <clears throat> on some way you have to engage the monster. We're going to become a social uh, media site in a way, um, but we're going to be oriented less around quarterly returns or me becoming a multi-cabillionaire and more about paying thousands and thousands of writers a month. Mm -hmm. Writers deserve to be paid and the writers will be paid according to sort of reader votes. Right. And the votes are based not just on popularity, but all kinds of, we call it, I call it the ecosystem. 
Right. So the votes uh, are diversely apportioned so that quality wins, right. basically. Because right. for years, you know, the blogs that win on Huffington Post or something are like 10 hot side boobs, you know, right. or kittens being cute. Yeah. It's all kittens or sex or puppies or sex. Yeah. We want important issues, you know, yeah. health and wellness, climate change, uh, agreeing to disagree respectfully. We want that to win. Yeah. Enlightened technology. Yeah. yeah. Just being a benefit. So, so tell us a little more about Elephant, like how many subscribers you guys have now? Yeah. So we call ourselves the world's largest mindfulness site. Uh, it would be hard to dispute that. We're also probably the only one even among our rivals who we love. We want more rivals, not fewer. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that is truly independent, no investment. We really, and that's important because once you take investment, you almost always, 99% of the time, are uh, building the business uh, to make money so they yeah. can sell. Yeah. And that's really not our ambition. Yeah. Uh, and I've had offers and rejected it, so it's, it's not, it's really we're walking our talk there. Yeah. We're really about community. So yeah, we have many millions of readers a month, uh, anywhere from like over the past 10 years, 3 million to 23 million unique uh, readers a month. Um, and like I said, many, many fans on Facebook and we've won national awards on Twitter and our YouTube channel blew up when we paid attention to that. Instagram is now more of our focus. Yeah. Um, but really, anywhere we can be a benefit, basically. Yeah, and it's an awesome. You know, I've been writing for you for yeah. forever. Very popular uh, writer. Over we here. we actually give uh, Whalen and Elephant Journal our articles before we post them. Mm. So just so you know, you can go there first and get our stuff. But right. it has tons of great writers, tons of great information. And what I also like you said before is not speaking to the choir. Mm. Like you know, when I wrote a book called Eat Wheat, which was very controversial, and I and I and I contacted all the gluten free folk out there, best-selling gluten-free authors, and nobody wanted to have an interview with me. Wow. No one wanted to have that discussion until wow. David Perlman, our author Grain Brand, who I've right. known him for years, we actually had this really incredible debate. I bet. And it was great, yeah. you know, and we banged it out the first time back and forth. My mother said I won it, that debate, so clearly I did. But the point was, is like, and he was like, this is so cool, because he even noticed that the only people I get asked to, you know, to, to, to interview with are people who are the same, have the same basic message. And yeah. it's so beautiful that you're yeah. on board with, hey, let's stir it up. Let's have those discussions about, you know, what the differences are. Because if we don't ex expose our differences, how are we ever going to come together, you know? It's, well, it's just good. You know, I care more about elephant in a way than myself. So I don't want to be the voice of elephant. I don't yeah. want my opinions right. to dictate what we do. So I'm vegan. Elephant is by no means vegan. We have yeah. many recipes that are and aren't, but we right. do have common ethics. Right. We don't just say, oh, whatever, <clears throat> factory farming is okay. Right. We try to be, you know, we're about the mindful life. So we try to focus on, well, how can we all come together? Sure, we're going to have differences and disagreements, but it's not up to me to make the whole world vegan. The world won't do that. Right. Um, so can we just find common ground, health, you know, environment, factory farming, things that we support and that we don't. Now, Buddhism is a big part of, is that, and how, yeah. how does Buddhism weave into Elephant Journal, that yeah. philosophy? Well, the Dalai Lama has a quote about Buddhism where he says, he's speaking to someone who's interested in becoming Buddhist. And he says, don't become Buddhist. 
explore your own tradition, your own life more fully. And if you still want to become Buddhist after that, maybe. But you don't need to become Buddhist. Just be a good person. And I think that's Elephant's approach is Buddhism, thank God, no pun intended, is not trying to convert people. We don't really, frankly, care. Um, What we do care about is like our slogan at Elephant is, may it be of benefit, may we be of benefit. If we're all in our different ways being of benefit, you know, some people are farmers, some people are plumbers, some people are politicians, some people are teachers. We're not all gonna be the same. So some people are Christians, some people are Muslim. That's beautiful, you know? Mm -hmm. What isn't beautiful is the hate that can arise, which often is when I say my way is the only right way. And that's, that's weird. That's very weird attitude. Yeah, and yeah. I bet if people were to, like you said, dive into their own culture and their own religion, mm. they would probably find the truths of Buddhism yeah. pretty close. You know? Yeah, and the, that's the cool thing is then, you know, the mystical traditions, it's about all these people in different traditions who've gone deeper and find that they have tons in common. Yeah. Oh, we're all about kindness. Oh, yeah. we're all about, you know. Yeah. So what I do think is valuable in Buddhism, which we do... Uh, try to make available and accessible an elephant is meditation, being right. present, uh, not getting caught up in my selfish, self-involved thoughts. Yeah. And they're not selfish in the bad way. Like a lot of people say, you know, to their children, like, you're selfish, you're a bad kid. It's not that. That's a weird attitude that we have about ourselves often. Yeah. It's selfish in the sense that, you know, my Buddhist teacher says, the ego's mantra is, what about me, what about me? It's just insecure. We're just yeah. self-obsessed. Yeah. Not always out of vanity, but out of, we're just insecure. There's an old saying, and this ties into your book about love, you know, what I'd like to do with you, mm-hmm. um, which is that I love you, but it's no concern of yours. You know, <laughs> which means that, you know, why am I loving you? Am I mm-hmm. loving you for that reward so you love me back and I'm mm-hmm. going to depend on that? I'm going to manipulate like crazy that. to get that? Or I just love you because it's no concern of yours. So you wrote this incredible book. And I was mm-hmm. like, Waylon wrote a book. And mm-hmm. I was like, and I started reading it. And I was just like, this is poetry. Mm-hmm. And he wrote 31 chapters or something like that. Some crazy, right. yeah. some crazy number of chapters about about love and like what I want to do with you in the morning, what I want to do with you in the evening, what I want to do with you mm-hmm. after breakfast, you know, when you go away in the morning and, yeah. and at the end of the book and sort of yeah. towards the end of your life. There's a whole thing. And I got to tell you, um, I've written a lot of articles about love. He poured his heart out. He wrote a whole book about it. I just, there's just so much content in there, so many ways to look at it. Mm-hmm. So I want to know like, if you're okay with, you know, why did you write that book and what were you yeah. trying to accomplished or with that book? What was the goal? Was it just poor? I mean, I don't think it was beautiful. I mean, it touched me reading it and I'm sure it touched a lot of other people. Mm. But I wonder where you came from starting to write that book. Mm. Cause like, not everybody just throws their heart on the table and go, here right. you go. You're like, yeah. you know, it's like really yeah. vulnerable. It is, yeah. I am I love speaking to audiences. Yeah. And I did a book reading, I think my first book reading for the book and I was so uncomfortable. <laughs> Cause it's so vulnerable. Yeah. Um, yeah, I so I had gone on this great date years ago when I um, and I had been writing like five times a day, three times a day, one time a day, whatever you know, writing on elephant yeah. for years. And I went on this date, and it was that first date ex- feeling, which you may not remember, but it's that very yeah. first. You have no idea where it's going to go. You're pretty sure it won't work out yeah. from the point of view of experience, but it's very fresh. It's like that little bud 
of a flower in the spring. You know, yeah. it might snow on it. Who knows? Um, and I came back and I just wrote what would become the first chapter of things I would like to do with you in the woods. And it was about that date kind of and the feeling. Yeah. And it was also about my feeling of just being exhausted. I was working so hard. And um, considering how much I was writing at the time, and I was a pretty popular writer on Elephant, um, the reaction of that of people to that blog, what would, would become a chapter, was so unlike a, anything I'd ever written. I was like, what is happening here? Like I had struck a, a very wide and deep vein of gold, you know, that I think so many people, we were talking about this before, um, are wondering about what love looks like in 2019, what love looks like post-Mad Men. You know, we don't want the man to bring home the bacon and the woman to be bored drinking martinis at home, dealing with the kids, and the man to be having affairs, and the woman to be having affairs. There was a sort of disconnect in the Mad Men era. Yeah. And that's only one version. There are many good relationships, but what is different in a good relationship versus one where you're kind of buying into these gender roles and yeah. um and i had the buddhist teachings about relationships so i held up my experience that's just where those chapters came from i kind of wrote about relationships good and bad and held them up to the buddhist teachings and kind of tr i was trying to learn i think that's why the book worked is i'm no expert on love i don't think anyone is really but we all are on the other hand we all have our own experience so I wrote about my experience. I didn't pretend to have answers. I didn't. And it, so it was an exploration. So what did you discover? Um, basically, the, the exploration was, what do you look for? If you're looking to, as I was and am, looking to <clears throat> settle down at mm -hmm. some point. You know, I started writing it when I was probably 39 or 37 or something. I'm 44 now. And... You know, I've had a lot of relationships. I love dating. I love being alone. I love... All that part is pretty easy for me. I mean, it's still hard and there's games and BS and, you know, yeah. loneliness sometimes. But what's really hard for me is not commitment, but, you know, I take marriage very seriously. Uh, my parents were divorced very early. It was an awful relationship. Awful. So, but I had in the Buddhist community many examples of great relationships. And so I, I wanted to get married and stay married, and I still do, and I'd like to have children. And I wanted to kind of figure it out ahead of time, not yeah. figure it all out and have it be perfect, but figure out enough that I could, when I said I do, I could mean it. And knowing that our relationship would change and evolve and devolve and shift but right. whatever I was committing to was the bedrock that I could commit to for life. Instead of, you know, I, I don't really want to get divorced and all that. It's a lot yeah. of acrimony and lawyers. And, but, so I just think it's so crazy because what I did was so different than that. Yeah. I met my wife um, in India and we were there for three weeks together. Yeah. She had to go back home. Three, four months later, I left India to, to go be with her. Yeah. We were together for six weeks and got married. Yeah. I brought her back to India with me. And now we have six kids 30 years later. Yeah. But I got to tell you. good. No, it was, it was really hard because oh. it was, I mean, it was, it's always been great and we're compatible. Mm. But I, what you're doing is what I did along the way. Right. Which is I tried to figure out, 
like when things weren't going right, I would just like, well, if she would just do a little more of that and a little less yeah. of this and a little less of that, yeah. it would be good. But she's yeah. got to change because I'm like, yeah. I got it together and like, come on, yeah. like get with it, you know. Yeah. And that would never happen, you know. Sure. So one day I realized that, uh, and it was sort of like it was doing a, a detox and I was like in this kind of like that calm space where you could see mm. a little more clearly. And I looked and I was like, oh, it's me. Mm. Like I wasn't giving myself fully to that relationship you know i was like you know if you would just change a little bit it would all be great but i didn't take the risk to be delicate and to be vulnerable and open the petals of my flower and let mm -hmm. who i am out because mm -hmm. that's scary for us because what if they don't love you back then you're screwed oh you know? so scary right yeah so i had to start realizing that i had to start giving in ways that i didn't give and you talk about being selfish we're all like hardwired to sort of be selfish, right? Mm -hmm. And I had to figure that part out, and that was the, the journey that I took. And, and in fact, teach to my patients, and in fact, teach to myself still every day, still yeah. trying to figure out ways to open more, give more, love more, you know. Yeah. And uh, But you have chosen to sort of run all that, that rewiring yeah. before, which is gonna be amazing, but don't wait too yeah. long. Yeah, exactly. Right? Well, the other thing is I've been a workaholic, as yeah. I'm sure you have been, but I've never, I've been in many relationships where, you know, initially what I do is attractive to my partner and within a couple of weeks they're like, St get off the laptop, you're so boring, I thought yeah. you were a fun guy, <laughs> I hate this, I want to go camping, I want to go out, I want to, and yeah. I hate that feeling of being right. guilt tripped and or disappointing someone, yeah. let alone putting children on top of that. Yeah. I was like, there's no way I'm going to build Elephant halfway. Yeah, I need to build it to be a benefit, and there's no way I'm going to build it and really disappoint someone continually, as I would have done. Maybe, so Elephants a... now got a great staff, and it's yeah. it's a more fertile time. That might be why in Ayurveda they say even for men and for women that's the best time to get married is in forty, mm -hmm. because like you mm -hmm. sort of that's you, interesting. You know, if you were working hard from your twenties, like in right. the old days, you have right. there were twenty years to sort of make it, establish it, then you right. can kind of like just chick, kick back a little bit, yep. and then go have a family life. That's how I've felt the last four years. For the first time in my life, I felt yeah. like I wasn't just coasting on my adrenals or something. Yeah. I love that. I mean, yeah. what I did was completely reckless and random, and yeah. totally throwing throwing the dice. So it was like Russian yeah. roulette, you know. Yeah. Where what you're doing is you're doing it way smarter and wiser than I ever did. But you're, you, you're doing your career, which is like so Vedic in a way. That's what you're supposed to do. Mm. You're, and now you're really researching and writing about yeah. what, how you can create a relationship that will be lasting. To experience true love, right? That's the goal, right? To experience that, yeah. that communion of, right? That, yeah. From a Buddhist point of view, it's, the goal is, is complicated. The goal is to be a benefit to the world and that your partner is your best friend and your ally in doing that. And not best friend, just. Obviously right. there's romantic and intimacy, but the vision is that you're a, your partnership, you're walking on the path to be a benefit. And you're maybe holding hands or right. being affectionate while you do so, but there's some space between you two. You're always individual people. So, you know, I was talking about the Buddhist notion of love is not a lifelong picnic. It's not this sort of PDA, public display of affectionate for life. You know, that's a fun thing to do, for sure, in the back of a movie theater when you're falling in love, whatever, or hopefully for the rest of your life, that kind of passion is great. But you're also individuals, like you were saying, you have to take some responsibility for your own yeah. 
stuff and not just yeah I, so some vulnerability or loneliness is is actually a beautiful thing for life you don't just sort of two flames become one is often an image that's used particularly in christianity yeah buddhism is like two flames that's great and maybe a flicker with each other but you're you know the purpose of a relationship from a buddhist point of view is to be a benefit not to just get self-obsessed so the so so the the relationship then because when you're having a relationship and then you bicker and you have these issues those are from the vedic perspective this is really cool Alan and i do a lot when we yeah. talk together like i said you know he used to interview me a lot and many times like yeah. Like you would have the Buddhist perspective, I'd have sort of the Vedic perspective. Yeah. Was there going to mountain between us? Yeah. That was sort of the same thing, but said yeah. in a different way. Yeah. So the so the Vedic perspective would be that that is an old, one of my other favorite old sayings is that you know to the extent that something affects you, is to the extent that it's your karma, which means action. So if I'm she's bickering or we're bickering, then that's affecting me. So it's an opportunity for me to take action, mm. and that action would have to come from from my true self versus my manipulative self, mm -hmm. right? Right. So, so that becomes that the relationship itself becomes an opportunity for, you know, what they might call enlightenment or growth or contentment exactly. or joy, just having a good time. Like not, you know, just I don't like the genuine. idea of trying to get enlightened because yeah. I, I don't see it happen very often. Yeah. But I do like the idea of us yeah. moving through our emotional baggage so we can be free to really feel and experience trust, yeah. truth, love. In it with another person, mm -hmm. that sort of creates, you know, like, if, if I feel safe in my love for you, then I'm going to be for safe to go out here too, you know, in the world. So yep. explain exactly. th that Buddhist part, because if it's two flames, where everybody's like, the Vedic's like, look, I don't know if it's like going to one flame, but it's definitely using each other's flame to grow. For sure, that sounds great. Okay. Um, I think the two flames thing is a little bit codependent. Like, yeah, right. You know what? We're two yeah. separate people. We both eat. We both poop. We both exercise. We both can have our own experience. My partner can go for a hike without me. Yeah. She can have a social life without me. She can do it with me as well. But it can become a little controlling to think you're one human being. Yeah. We're not. Yeah. And, um, you know, we're born alone, we die alone. That's often used in a negative way, but it's actually yeah. kind of a beautiful thing if yeah. you're okay with that vulnerability. Right. And, and, you know, I read this quote in New York Times. They do these little interviews of people on the street sometimes. And this, they asked this old couple how they had stayed married for so long. And the guy who was like 85 said, I wake up every morning and I look at her with admiration. And I love that word, admiration. It's yeah. not affection, it's not love, it's not passion. Admiration implies a little distance, like you're still admiring that person. Yeah. And if you allow distance, you know, absence makes the heart grow fonder, but you can do it with each other. The space actually creates, it's not dead space. Yeah. It's pregnant space. It allows space for uh, passion, right. you know, it's hard to feel sexually aroused by someone who's in your, you know, wearing the same hoodie as you all the time and you have this sort of stale feeling. You know, having a little bit of appreciation or admiration um, and it allows room for humor, you know. You need a little bit of space for humor usually, a little perspective. Um, you know, space for healing. So space is a beautiful thing. Like when you dance, having a little bit of space makes it fun. Right. Whereas if you're just dancing like 
some yeah. weird, you know, uh, clingy thing. It's not that fun. But it's, you know, and I, and I wonder, there's a, a big trend these days towards more open relationships. And, mm. and, and it's not just, from what I understand, not just like having sex with anybody you want. It's having sort of what you said, that freedom to just be like, hey, I love you and if your thing is to be with somebody else mm -hmm. or go with, I'm not going to try to control you. It's sort of where the, the foundation of that comes from, yeah. you know, where I just don't want to be in control of you and manipulate you to love me and I need sure. you, I need you in my life. Does that make yeah. any sense? Do you, do you, yeah. I mean, how do you... It's a popular subject on elephantjournal.com. Oh, I, I bet it <laughs> Open is. Open relationships. Yeah, I think from the Buddhist sure perspective, about, you must have written about that. I haven't written about it. I'm not that interested in it. Yeah. I think from a Buddhist point of view, you know, the Buddha always talks about the middle way between extremes. So you can be cloying and clingy, yeah. or you can be like, whatever is cool. Yeah. And to give respect to the open relationships, yeah. like you said, there's some structure around it often. Yeah. I've seen a lot of open relationships with friends and uh, it's never worked out. What does working out mean? Who knows? They may have a different yeah. definition of that. But yeah. um, to me, or from the Buddhist perspective, I think, number one, there's not a moral problem with it. I feel like a lot of people have a moral, ethical problem with open relationships. Buddhism isn't that heavy-handed. Like, if that works for you, go nuts. Yeah. If being clingy somehow works for you, yeah. for both of you, yeah. I guess go nuts. You know, good luck. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the middle way is more like, so in Buddhism they say that your spouse or your partner is the only person who cares about you enough to get to know you super well, so they know your, sh you know, your fertilizer, your poop, they know your neurosis, they know everything about you, and they can communicate on behalf of the whole phenomenal world to you, like, hey, you have some, you know, spaghetti on your face. Yeah. And no one else will say that to you, right? you know, and maybe they would like my best friend, Dave, he might give me hard messages from time to time and he does, but he doesn't. And that's a great thing in a loving friendship, yeah. but he doesn't know me in and out the way that an intimate relationship does. Yeah. Yeah. So I, wonder if it's the... I think you lose a bit of that messenger of the whole phenomenal world with yeah. an open relationship. If you're kind of spending your time in two relationships or many, Maybe it's the might lose a little of that. The pendulum thing, right? Where people grew up watching their parents in this sort of clingy, not working relationship, right? right? right. So then the pendulum in. swings way over yeah. We're not gonna do that and we're gonna be free yeah. and you can do whatever you want, but I love you and as long as we keep this love thing together and that maybe we, we, it can work. And I, I'm still not quite sure how, how um, when you sort of do fall in love in an open relationship, how, you know, I don't know, there's sort of a, a major vulnerability there around that person's deciding to, you know, whatever, hook up with somebody just yeah. because, and how do you know, I don't know, it's just, I guess I don't have that kind of freedom or courage or willing to be that vulnerable in yeah. a relationship, you no, know. No, real talk. I mean, I think all of us would do open relationships if it, if we could Freak me feel, feel a way to do it in a sane way without extra servings of drama. Yeah. But... Yeah, you know, it's a tough one. So anyone who does it, so I salute. Yeah, right. If you can make it work, um, yeah, yeah it's, it's incredible because it does. To me, I mean, I think fundamentally the idea is that you grow and you're fearless, and of course yeah. that would be a you're you're not afraid that she's going to go. If it's really truly her wish to go out and do something else, then that's I want her to be happy. I truly care yeah. about her in that way, you know. But the really 
powerful and cool thing, and I should not be saying this to you because you know more about this than me, but is commitment in this day and age, actually doubling down when it's hard, yeah. saying, wow, I would really like to get away right now. Yeah. And maybe I will go for a walk and give myself some space, which is healthy, right. but I'm gonna, we're gonna figure this out. Yeah. So again, from a Buddhist point of view, talking about spirituality, Trungpa Rinpoche, my parents' teacher would talk about right. spiritual materialism, and that's defined as almost open relationships. Like you go to the spiritual salad bar, and you take a little Jesus, you take a little of this, you take a little of that, but only the nice stuff that is fun. Yeah. You don't ever take anything hard or challenging, ever. Yeah. yeah. Um, but then you don't grow. And then yeah. it just becomes this weird, we all know people like that, this weird positivity soup that actually is a little bit toxic and kind of avoiding yeah. reality. And we learn by confronting our resistance and our, not confronting in a, macho way but being vulnerable and <clears throat> leaning in which is mm. what Pema Chodron another wonderful teacher talks about and um, you know I know that when I have a tough talk with my current partner um, and we get through it I feel delighted I'm like oh wow I can grow a little bit I don't yeah. have to be stuck I can yeah. tell her this hard thing and it can be okay yeah, yeah. it's so crazy this culture is like a mile wide and an inch deep right everybody mm, everybody right. just skims on the surface and right. nobody's willing to dig a hole deep there's another old vedic saying that says that the pain and the fear are directly across from the bliss and the reason for the pain and the fear is to get your attention mm. so you can go to it and then through it mm. and then ask who you are and then let who you are out and right. then connect with them at the level of who you are, not some armored up version of yourself you think that they're going to like, right? Because mm. we keep manipulating ourselves to make, those, to make us look or think that we're more appealing, right? But how do we really connect? You got to go through the pain, you got to go through the fear. And people just like, like when my mom, I, I think I was, when my mom watches this, she's going to be pissed at me, but, but I was like in high school and this girl dumped me for like the football player guy, you know, and, and I was like really broken up over it. And my mom said, just, you know, like go to bed. Like, just like, that was it. Like, it was nothing. Like, just like, just sleep on it and get yeah. out of here. Like, no, I don't want to talk to you about it. Like, there was nothing. And now, kids would go and get out of the kind of like, you'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Like, sleep you know, off. like, yeah. It's, you know, like, uh, you know, I'm sort of feel bad for you, but, you know, it'd be okay. Go, go to bed. Yeah. I mean, if you're an older That's person it. looking at your kid, like you may be now, you've been through so many love things, you're like, You'll be fine. You're 18, you're 14, you'll, you'll be fine. But now they take him and give him Prozac and antidepressants right. and they go smoke right. weed or they do something to just numb right. themselves so they can just check out. And what you're saying is, how do we get, how do we, and what you write about in your internal is a lot of, how do you check in and become more mindful, right? Mm. And that's, that's a, a big part of what you're trying to do is get people to be, you know, I tell my kids that I use an old Deepak quote, Deepak Chopra quote, which is that, that you know, the space between ourselves is proportionally as void as intergalactic space. Mm. And they're going like, what? <laughs> I'm going, yeah. yeah, like, why don't you investigate that? You know, how do we get the pendulum to swing back so we don't just lose ourselves in mm -hmm. this outer world? Well, and, and that brings us back to the social media stuff because yeah. Facebook and all these sites are Instagram. They're built on trying to get you to scroll, yeah. to do everything, what do you say, a mile wide and an inch deep? Yeah. Not even an inch deep, just yeah. like, yeah. you know, a centimeter deep. Yeah. They want to distract you. It's the distraction culture. Yeah. Because they make money off of that. Uh, totally. But how do you how do how do you change the culture to have them see that they're being manipulated when yeah. we're, we're we're tapping into the, the fundamental weakness in 
humankind yeah. to want to be liked. We have this hardwire to want to be liked yeah. and appreciated, right? We do, but even more fundamentally, we want to be happy. We want to be able to yeah. breathe one breath instead of just like being in this shallow kind of fear state yeah. all day. Yeah. And I think that, you know, I don't know if you've seen Black Mirror. It's like yeah, a new sure. Twilight Zone. Sure, so yeah. they show this world where everything, maybe you saw that episode, is evaluated according to popularity and likes. Yeah. So when you greet the barista in the morning, you're like, you see their rating. And based on your smile, if you give them, if they're nice to you, you give them a like point or whatever. Yeah. So yeah, we can go that direction. Or we can go the direction of really getting present with your you know, your morning coffee or tea or your lover or your bicycle ride or your tough conversation with a colleague or your, you know, when you're driving. I know I don't drive. I notice when people drive, it seems weird to me, but probably no one else, but I don't drive ever. So I get in a car and there's like distractions. They have their phone here. They have their thing here. They have the music. You know, there's a lot going on considering yeah. that they're driving a tin can at 60 miles per hour or more or less. You're like, and when I'm biking, I don't want any distractions. I want to be present yeah. and enjoy know it. Know your phones and all that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. They're on the phone, the, you yeah. know, whatever. Yeah. Listening to music and how can they hear it? I mean, They're it's like, crazy. what do you want to listen to? I'm always like, uh, I'm okay. Like, yeah. I'd love to just talk and yeah. maybe look around. And, and, you know, music isn't bad, but if you're going to enjoy some song, why not enjoy the hell out of it? Like, really get into it. Yeah. That's what I do with music. Yeah. You know. So I think the distraction culture is is uh, stressful yeah. and I think the more we kind of, I mean you're the expert on this, but coming just fully enjoy stuff instead of multitasking, yeah. we're smarter. Like New York Times did a great article on how people learn or how people are trained in a job and they said learn slowly and you'll learn faster. So really just slow down and learn everything. Like whenever we're training new staff at Elephant, they're like I'm sorry I'm so slow, I'm, I need to get better you're like just slow down really get every piece of it and yeah. that might take a couple of weeks and then suddenly you'll be like you'll be really fast yeah yeah i was dyslexic terrible reader as a kid never right. really don't really like reading novels because i just don't read them and i went to chiropractic college and i had to read like textbooks and they were like massive and i had to read them like one word at a time you know mm -hmm. because they were so dense mm -hmm. you know right and then i realized that I can read this because yeah. I can read one word at a time and just go slow. I had permission to go slow. Right. Where I'm reading a novel, I, you like you have, feel like you have to frantically through it because you're reading so slow. Yeah. You feel I always felt self-conscious, yeah. you know. And now what I do for a living is I read journals. That's all I do. I just live just, on PubMed. Yeah. You know, just Look read real slow, you know. And that became your gift. Yeah, I mean it was like really cool. I think that's it. We just have to slow down the culture, but, and and, and so this is the question: How do, how you mentioned that we have to go you know, through that discomfort. Mm -hmm. And it's sort of like a rite of passage to stop needing to be loved and starting to sort of be willing to be vulnerable enough to be the love. Mm -hmm. How do you get people to cross that line? It just seems like everybody's so addicted to wanting them to love me or them to appreciate right. me. How do we, what's the, the Buddhist way or the elephant way to get people to to you know, see the light in a way, to, to realize that that's where the happiness you talked about really is gonna come from, because it ain't gonna come from out there. No, and it can't come from out there until you're okay in here. Yeah. And then suddenly you can fully enjoy your gelato or your, yeah, I right. would say, I have this quote that I talk about called, uh, 
something like uh, the present moment is where the brilliance happens or something like that. Yeah. Anything you've ever fully enjoyed yeah. is because you've been present. You can have the best meal in the world and if you're like, well, well and on your phone, you won't even taste it. Yeah, that's so true. That's so true. So how do you get people to do that? That's such a beautiful point. Yeah. Like, how do you really enjoy? Like, think about we people out there thinking, okay, when was the last time I really, like you said, with the music or the gelato, yeah. when was the last time you really yeah. enjoyed that one thing? Yeah. And not in, you didn't need like my phone blowing up or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Well, my girlfriend right now is is crazy. Uh, actually, even my ex girlfriend, uh, who I can think of from a few years back, when they eat, it's almost like a it's weird to me because I'm very speedy often. Yeah. Um, they're so slow and mindful about every bite and they enjoy it so much. They're like emoting about the food as they eat it. And I always look at that. I find it inspiring. I'm like, wow, you can really enjoy your meal like a lot. It's crazy. Yeah. It's because they're just totally present. They're chewing it, yeah. they're smelling it, yeah. they're appreciating it. They're thinking about the farm or who made it. You know, they're... Uh, what else is it? So Kripalu, the yoga center, I just went there and they had like okay. six things in mindful eating, which like changed my on life. On a little flip card on the table, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, um, you know, slow down is yeah. the first one, take a couple breaths. And, yeah. you know, I'm already off like the races. So I'm set. like, you know? Yeah. And then gratitude, you think about the farmers or the yeah. nature or the waiter or the cook, you know, you think about all that. Then you appreciate it, you look at it. You know, by that time I'm half done with my meal already. I know. And then you smell it, which is a weird thing. I would never, like, I like literally lift my plate up now. <laughs> then you chew it. Like, that's my favorite part, which I never really paid attention to. Yeah. You know, I would eat quantity because I would miss half of it. Yeah. Which is overeating, right? And, so, and then that's the only thing, eating with your hands. So when you eat with your hands, you sort of can't flip through your magazine. You can't read your book. Right. You can't change the clicker on the TV screen, you know. It's, you just have to sort of be there in it. Mm. I'm a, I was like you, a very fast eater, yeah. and I would, and th and that was one of the techniques I learned. I would just sit down and come home for lunch and just chill and mm. eat with my hands, and I like it was just automatically slowed me down. Yeah. Because you can't not try it. You, you yeah. just can't go fast and gobble and inhale your food. You sort of can, but there's certain foods that just you know take a little work either yeah. to chew, like you know, yeah. like really leafy greens take a while to chew, yeah. and put it in your mouth just takes time and it's messy and. Yeah. But it was a cool way to kind of slow it down and enjoy that. And, and all that science about yeah. how your emotions, that this is the Ayurvedic thing, that mm. your emotions that you impart when you eat your food actually are impregnating those emotional molecules of emotion onto the bugs onto your food. Mm. So they're being altered. This isn't a Vedic, Ayurvedic wow. thing. So they're being altered, and now we have science epigenetically, they're being altered by how you feel when you eat that food. It's just, just mm. sort of, so that whole process of preparing the food, who grew the food, who carried the food, all that stuff, and when you eat it, it all creates Ayurveda, it's a sattvic, like, what's the word in Buddhism for like sattva, which is like a loving, giving, kind way of being, is there a word for that? Yeah, I don't know, just gentleness, Trunk yeah. Rinpoche talks a lot about being gentle. Yeah, with everything. Yeah, just um, compassion, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah, I think, um, you know, you were asking how do you get people to do that? I think it's sort of pleasure. It's like you really enjoy that meal. Yeah. You really enjoy watching that basketball game on TV. You really enjoy your partner. Yeah. Even if it's a tough conversation. You know, you're more when we decide to be present, yeah. we enjoy everything so much and we make way fewer mistakes and that's an attractive thing. Yeah. You know, you don't have to convince a cyclist 
to be present or someone skiing or whatever because they're or a climber because yeah. they have to be yeah and that's why people go spend money on climbing and skiing and what they're trying to get present in a funny way that's so true it's, but we call it adrenaline which is such a like weird patriarchal yeah. kind of it's not necessarily adrenaline it's that we're finally being fully present yeah and time slows down that's so interesting so that's what people are really looking for it's not the adrenaline rush it's the it's the finally being doing one thing instead of a million yeah. things. Yeah, I think it's so fun. Yeah. Like when I'm on my bike negotiating every little pebble on a path, it's just fun. And yeah. you could call it adrenaline rush, but it's, you know, I used to interview famous climbers and all these people and some of them have died since and I would always ask them, like from a Buddhist point of view, life is to be lived of benefit. I was like, stop, I would, I would literally in interviews, I'd be like, why are you doing this? Like your life is precious. And it's inspiring and wonderful that you're showing people another way to appreciate life, but you don't have to die doing ever more extreme or macho things. And this has been talked about much more in the culture since with Alex Honnold. And I wrote like the, um, the glorification of danger. And New York Times did this whole kind of series on that. Um, but at the time I would just be like, you don't need to do that crazy thing to be happy you can yeah. go meditate sure. you can enjoy doing your dishes yeah with that exact same joy it's like, like that, literally like that book the rise of superman did you read that book no i haven't it was a book about extreme athletes and how they were all mm. super addicted half of them are dead and if they didn't die they're depressed when they're mm. in their 50s because they can't do it anymore they can't right. dial that up that whole Kind of a thing and that, that whole adrenaline rush and get you can't get that focus anymore because the only way did it was on this right. edge you know where right. the same brain chemistry that they produced was that you get in meditation you know just by dialing it down well and meditation isn't to end to itself so through meditation you can like i was saying do the dishes take the compost out you can do the most boring laundry and you could be present and then you know you could be present for music or making love or like yeah. making love is a great example you could be making love with the most beautiful man or woman in the world but if you're not present if you're tripping on some yeah you know you're not even really there that's crazy so your book you yeah you wrote this beautiful book poured your heart out yeah and you wrote about this journey of what love is so where are you now like have you figured it out because i'd love people would love to know um i definitely haven't figured it out but um I have figured out what I wrote about in the book, the kind of the tent poles or something of what a genuine love or a genuine relationship might look like. Uh -huh. I think I figured out pretty clearly, but it's not like I figured it out like Columbus. Right. You know, I think the Buddhist wisdom was there and it's very ordinary wisdom. It's not theoretical or ideological. Yeah. So it's about finding a match, finding equality. And e equality isn't meaning that you're both the same. Can yeah. be very different, like a dance. Um, and I think what you were talking about, being genuine, that trust, your fundamental human goodness coming out and connecting. And we are selfish uh, in a good way when we take care of ourselves so that we can be a benefit. So you were asking about how can we convince people to come back to this other way. Buddhism would say that other way is Maitri, which is kind of um, self-care is a big popular thing now. I'm sure you hear about that word all the time. It's great, but it's not necessarily self-care as much as making friends with oneself, 
is almost more fundamental. It's not about getting in the bath or doing a face mask or any one thing um, or taking a day off or whatever self-care might be. And companies, of course, try to make money off of self-care, yeah. some with good intentions like yourself, some maybe not at all. Yeah. You know, when I see these plastic masks that people are putting yeah. on, I'm like, yeah. oh, come on. But Maitri, M-A-I-T-R-I, we talk a lot about it on Elephant, is really fundamental. It's making friends with your own loneliness. Mm -hmm. And when I write about that, people say, oh, you mean aloneness. Like when you're lonely, but in a good way, that's aloneness. And I'm saying no loneliness, like the hard stuff, the bad, what you view your ego, your insecurity views as bad. If you can make friends with that loneliness, then you can fall in love with someone without being codependent. You can appreciate them fully. You're not leaning on them like a crutch. You can lean on them in a romantic way. You can cuddle, but right. you don't, you're not using them. A lot of love is very selfish. Yeah. Um, it's really about filling the hole yeah. of insecurity in yourself where you're not comfortable going. I think a lot of people, including myself, fall in love so that we don't have to go to a barbecue by ourselves. You know, that's not love. That's, yeah, a puppy. You yeah. can love you all the time, but yeah. they don't, it doesn't really work like that. You see people do that to their dogs. They don't take their dogs on walks. Their dogs go crazy, Yeah, you know, because they are using that dog. They're not being present with it and, you know, treating it like a sentient being. Have you ever done so. any like those solo, you know, camping trips where you're out in the wilderness by yourself and really experience that loneliness and yeah. go through that fear? Have you done that? I've done Buddhist retreats yeah. uh, that would bore anyone to death yeah. many, many, many times. Uh, it's not as outdoor focused, although some of them are. Um, but yeah, incredibly, I've done you know many, many, many months and years of retreats with silence. And silence all that stuff, and stuff. Yeah. And when you go into silence, what do you experience? Like what? What's the? What do you discover? Yeah. So weirdly, you discover joy and connection with other people, and it's weirdly wonderful. Like right. I recommend it. Yeah. It's, you would think it would be boring and oppressive, and, and it can be if you're trying to just survive it and get through it. Like when I did my first month-long meditation retreat when I was 16, I think, and I was like kind of party animal, like nutty kid, and uh, I just tried to survive that month. I didn't really try to meditate. I just, yeah. I like played entire basketball games in my head for entertainment. I counted the cars. There's this distant highway that I could see where I was meditating and I counted the cars going different directions. I was just trying to get through it. And we like drank and partied and, <laughs> and it was miserable. And then I did another one after I'd had my heart broken a little bit. And I was like, oh, maybe this Buddhist stuff actually makes some sense. I had been reading Henry David Thoreau and kind mm -hmm. of, they kind of seemed to agree on a lot of things. And I meditated again and it was delightful. And you fall in love with everyone mm. who's also on that retreat. And uh, you're not even talking, you know? Yeah, it's just like that whole idea of Don Veda, the pulling back the bow, right? I mean, mm. if we don't take time right. to pull back the bow, and yeah. we're moving it like crazy, and we try to shoot this thing from, you know, with no silence, with no inner silence, we're just, just a random life. But, you know, it seems like what you're talking about mm. here is, you know, being mindful, you know, pulling back the bow, becoming more self-aware, and then starting to take action in a present way. Like being really, really being there in your life. And I think that sounds yeah. so simple. And so like, like, of course, that's the yeah. right thing to do. Well, it is simple. But nobody, but this is so but rare Facebook in our and Instagram and Google and, all, you know, Amazon and 
none of these companies are encouraging that. They're yeah. encouraging the opposite. So it's you feel a little bit like a trout swimming upstream. Yeah. And it is simple. It is obvious. And a lot of wisdom teachers from every tradition and yeah. non-tradition all yeah. agree on this. That yeah. if you want to enjoy life, it's right here. Yeah. Boy, it's so great that, you know, I think, you know, what, what Elephant, your magazine does is it just provides... Mm. And it's a really cool magazine too. It's, it's definitely fun. not, it's not like a heavy, like you gotta stop no. doing this and this and this. It's completely the opposite. It's no. actually yeah. very full of life, you know? And I think the, the mindfulness is just woven in a way where people just get the message like, wow. And it's just moving the needle a little bit where people can start to you know, pull back the bow, establish some awareness and start taking some of that into action in their life and, yeah. and uh, yeah. experience the, 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 the wisdom of Buddhism w without a label. You know? Yeah. Because again, I'm not yeah. invested in increasing our membership roles. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah, I'm only Buddhist because it has some tools that help me do the stuff we've been talking about. But there's many other ways to, like Pema Chodron says, there's many different paths to many different mountains. Like you don't even have to be on the same mountain. But, you know, we're all trying to not reach enlightenment. I love that you said that. But like Buddhism says, enlightenment is when you see a stoplight, you're driving a car, and you stop the car. It's just being present, just reacting appropriately to phenomena. Yeah. So it's not some great mighty state. It's more just, you're just appreciating the cup of coffee or the tea that you're drinking. That's it. Yeah. That's all. Yeah. yeah. It's like the, uh, the Avatar cartoon. Did you watch that cartoon? I did, but a long time ago, yeah. Uncle Iroh, he's the tea drinker guy. He's like mm. the old guy who sits there and just drinks tea. And everybody's like killing each other. He's just like, I think I'll have some tea. Just chilling <laughs> and just loving the whole process. Yeah. Well, all this crazy stuff's going on. He was just like the, the eye of the storm. It's yeah. pretty cool. And again, when you're present, it can look like anything. You don't have to be peaceful and yeah. drinking tea. You can be surfing. Sure. You can be, you know, an entrepreneur. Yeah. You can be a parent with all that chaos. Yeah. And everything, you make fewer mistakes and you're less full of drama. Like and my you, reaction when I'm not, when I don't meditate, I'm very drama heavy. Yeah. And when I do, I'm just a little, I have a better sense of humor about my life. Right. Like the bigger the eye of the storm, the more powerful the winds, right? So if uh, you really have right. that calm, right. you can do it surfing or right. skydiving or whatever it is right. that, that you love. But as long as you understand that it's the... It's the, it's the combination of the dynamic activity with that inner composure and calm that they're both functioning, coexisting. They're coexisting with mm. each other. And that's the, I think that's what wins the war, is us being able to experience both that incredible experience of the outer world that we live in, yeah. but not forgetting the inner space that we have in here, yeah. you know? Love Which that. is what your book was, your book was so beautiful about love. I mean, I just think that I was so impressed by, by that book. I think mm. everybody should get a copy um, Thank you. It's a beautiful book, What I'd Love to Do With You, right? Things I Would Think, Like to Do With You. Things I Would Like to Do With You. And um, just a really beautiful book about love. And I think that's, I always feel like that's what relationships are about. They're opportunities for us to grow within ourselves so we can actually then right. let some of the rays of that light out and love fully with someone we trust and then go out and feel safe to love the world. Exactly. And then people we are loving in the world feel safe to open up their hearts and they can love their partners and maybe yeah. then love the world. We change the world one heart at a time yep. by giving them permission to feel to feel willing to 
open something d delicate and sensitive up. And what you did in that book mm. was you opened your heart up and you poured it out, which I'm sure is why it's a bestseller because you opened your up to yourself in a way that uh, is really rare. Mm. People who are like a man in this day yeah. and age, right? It's yeah. pretty special. Yeah. Yeah. So um, once again, elephantjournal.com. Yeah. Yeah. Subscribe. Get on there. Read his yeah. article. Read the articles. It's a great place to be and hang out. Um, and uh, love to have you back sometime. Yeah, anytime. Thank, Thank you, you John. Thank you so much. Big fan. Yeah, thank you.